cool. I see it now. Yeah. Yes. Guys, welcome to Dead Talk Live. What I forgot to do is I usually share my screen with my guests. And with Yoko here, I forgot to share it. So I just did it right as we were popping up. How you doing, Yoko? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. This is my first time doing like a live online chat. I know, so. I know. And you know, it's a late hour. So you know what? Everything is out the window. We're just going to have some fun. Tonight, guys, our guest is Yoko Okamura from the movie Unseen that is coming out tomorrow, March 7th, on demand. And I saw this movie uh, last week. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to uh, chatting about it tonight. And as I'm going to ask you this first question, I'm going to crop out that bottom part. But I got to ask you this question. As I watched this film, and as I saw you pop up on my screen today, I'm going to ask you something I never thought in a million years I would ask a guest. Is your favorite color green? Oh, man, that's a really hard (laughs) one to answer. That's a controversial one. I don't know if I could... uh help you with that but um i'm gonna have to out myself and and say yes yes it is now green is very important to you i saw your pictures i I saw the movie and why is what does the color green just mean to you again a question i never thought i would ask but what does green mean for you you know it's just something that's really kind of hard to put to words it is a visceral love i look at it it makes me happy i think ever since i was young and saw like you know like the disney villain neon green or like the like simpsons nuclear power neon green i would just be so drawn to that color and um later in life i just kind of embraced it as an entire you know personality trait and a lifestyle i think that's great now all right let's get to this movie We have a story about a woman who is kidnapped by her ex-boyfriend. She is very nearsighted. In the process of escaping her psychopathic ex-boyfriend, she breaks her glasses. She's out in the woods. She literally can't see the hand in front of her, clearly. Uh, But she has her phone, and she's able to dial the last number that calls her. And that's where she meets up with uh, Sam. were you given sort of like a plot outline before you got this script? And if so, what did you think about just the general story here? When I got the script, it came with like a log line in the email, you know? So before I read it, I kind of knew what the overall story was going to be about. And, you know, at first I was like, okay, okay. It's two women, you know, coming together to survive a, uh, you know, abuser. I'm like, okay, I could, I could do that concept. That concept seems to be under the umbrella of who I am as a director and a filmmaker. Um, but I was like, okay, let's see if the, the gimmick of the, you know, we're going to be on a phone the whole time is going to, you know, pan out. But thankfully, you know, Brian and uh, Sal did a great job with, uh, you know, scripting a really intense, fun thrill ride and i was uh yeah pleasantly surprised and pleased you know going back to the way you shot this uh your technique with the split screens is very very reminiscent to brian de palma for me that's what it reminded me of uh why do you love so much the split screens it really worked for this film but, but what's your love for doing split screens in the film you know, uh, I definitely know that like back in the day, more than De Palma, actually for me, it was like Michelle Gondry's music videos I grew up watching. And there was oh. like a specifically one that was like, you know, kind of a backwards forwards um, 
split screen one that I really loved back in the day. And um, that really stuck with me. But for this particular story, I just knew that it was going to be a necessity. Like it wasn't even like a question for me. Like if I was going to be able to connect these two women um, and make sure that their friendship and their bond was going to come through for the audience, um, that it was going to, I'm going to have to see both of them on screen at the same time. Okay. Um, yeah. That makes perfect sense. So we have Emily who is a successful, strong go-getter in life. Uh, but through, through the, as the film progresses, you do show us her vulnerable side. You do show us what drives her. In your opinion, how important is that for the audience to see? Oh, I think it's super important to see um, somebody who's very strong kind of get defeated. And then somebody who, on the other hand, starts a little bit more vulnerable and a little bit weaker, becomes stronger, and then them to really help each other out. Because the other character, Sam, you know, starts off, even though she's the one who's physically safe at the beginning of the movie, yeah. um, and Emily's the one who's in mortal danger, Sam is the one who's like, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can help you. I'm really bad at this. Like, I think you should get somebody else to help you. And Emily is the one who's like, no, you got this. Breathe with me. You can do this. So um, that kind of like character arc swap was super duper important for us. Now, I'm nearsighted as well. Uh, pretty similar to the way you show us Emily being nearsighted in the movie. Uh, yeah. How did you de finally decide on how you were going to how nearsighted, how you, how you were going to present her point of view to us. Yeah, you know, that was even a question that the executives had when I was pitching to be the director of the movie. Like, how are you going to execute her perspective? Because it's just such a key component of bringing the audience along for her ride. Mm -hmm. If we kind of just like watched her stumble around, but never got to actually look through her eyes, yeah. I don't think we would feel oh. anything near as what we do right now, you know, as far as empathy goes. So um, it was really key for me. I pulled a lot of references as far as like different kind of filters that would bring a unique look to the blur. I didn't want to just use like a basic you know gaussian blur from final cut pro or something yeah. i wanted to develop something that um with the cinematographer and find a unique look for it so it was definitely an ongoing conversation uh i'm glad you settled on the way you did and when emily the brief times that we see her through her glasses even then her vision is not like 2020 with glasses on she still has a vision impairment it's just that glasses make it much better where she can see uh, now the the mirror opposite of Emily is of course Sam and you talked about Sam that's the person she dials who is safe in the beginning of the film uh Sam is played by Jolene Purdy who did a great job uh playing her you really show us the contrast between those two characters as well as the swap and then the similarities how did you approach Jolene's character Sam um you know Jolene you know, casting her was this the number one key component of creating the Sam that I wanted to. You know, since the moment I saw her on, you know, White Lotus, yeah. I thought she was hilarious, but also vulnerable and like had this kind of like, I'm just like trying to get by here kind of energy um, that I think I just like knew was going to be perfect for Sam. So casting her was number one. Um, and then, but then it was just really conversations with Jolene as far as like, you know, where is Sam coming from? Like, you know, there's so much about these women that we don't actually explicitly talk about on mm -hmm. screen, but we needed the actors to be able to bring emotionally just, you know, going through something that, you know, we don't even know what is. And um, 
we talked a lot of actually about like you know her own um, uh, kind of uh, after she had a child uh, she had some depressive issues and what would it be like to be kind of constantly stuck in that state and have to be working and have to be dealing with these people um, who are coming at her and so it really was a collaboration as far as how to um, create the character of Sam. Now we also find out throughout the movie what is causing uh, not only her depression, but she also feels an overwhelming sense of guilt. Um, is that important yeah. to the character as well? Oh my gosh, 100%. Um, you know, because there is a guilt that both of the characters are feeling when it regards to their mothers. Um, you know, Emily has a guilt that she never took her time off to go to work, you know, to, to go to Japan with yeah. her mother. And um, so we kind of know that up front. But, you know, Jolene Sam is keeping something back and she's not quite, you know, telling us what she feels about her own mother situation when we learn about, you know, how she passed and how she was sick. And so in a really pivotal moment, the moment that really is like the the climax of Sam's, you know, character arc of her becoming the one who's, you know, chanting Emily on like, get up, you can do this, yeah. you can do this, please get up. And in that moment, um, she has her own confession about her own guilt about something that happened with her mother when she was sick. So I think the um, shared guilt is a humongously important part of these characters, um, especially for these really you know, to earn these emotional moments. Absolutely. We have to talk about Missy Pyle. Uh, yes. I mean, wow. For me, the the character of Carol, which Missy plays, is like the comedic relief. Is that how you see Carol, or does she have a greater significance for you? Oh, yeah. You know, I, what I told all the actors in the very beginning was that, you know, the, the emotional anchor of the movie is obviously the two women and we want those performances to be very grounded but then for the villains to be a little bit larger than life like a little bit more you know out of this world and so um so this is like a wildness kind of like circling uh, around the protagonist so definitely with um you know missy was great though because i didn't really have to have a conversation with like oh you're gonna be comedic you know like she she just like leaned really hard into who that woman was and it automatically became both horrific and comedic at the same time um so yeah i think i think she definitely knew what the assignment was she was great uh were because uh they're not physically in the same space was midori and jolene ever physically together on the set so yes, actually, um, we talked a lot about different ways we could shoot this movie. Like, are they actually on FaceTime? You know, is there a reader off screen? That's not one of them. But at the end of the day, you know, these two actors were so generous with each other. They were like, no, we want to be there together for every single scene. We want to do these scenes together, even if we're not on camera. So yeah, we shot uh, Midori's side first and Jolene flew out early and was like in the forest with her, just like, you know, trudging around all that, you know, like all the bugs and all the dirt herself, like behind camera, like really just like performing the lines with her um, very loudly. How supportive is that? That is so awesome. One yeah. scene that really sticks in my mind that's hysterical now is when uh, Emily's in the car, okay? She's in uh, Charlie's truck. She's sort of like looking for something next to the seat next to her, and she has Sam on the dash facing yeah. out. Okay, yeah. and Charlie and Sam come face to face. Sam's on the phone and Charlie's in the car. That look he gives Sam and that look that Sam gives him back was yeah. just perfect. Uh, 
<laughs> How did you do that? How did you capture that moment? Oh my gosh, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because that is really kind of one of my favorite moments too, but it's kind of like an understated quick moment. So yeah. not a lot of people really catch it, but I love that you're commenting on it. Um, <laughs> it's kind of, I mean, because Jolene's side, you know, we shot like two weeks later in a whole different location. So at first it was just me making sure that like, you know, Michael Patrick Lane, who plays Charlie, yeah. just kind of gave us that like, kind of like deer in the headlights, like little like dog kind of like, you know, not like, like angling their head, like, huh, kind of moment, you know, I just had to make sure I got his side of that, um, his like pondering of like, what the heck is that in my car? Um, and then again, like when we were shooting Jolene's side a few weeks later, making sure that she has the kind of deer in the headlights, oh shit moment of these two people looking at each other. Um, it was perfect. Yeah. It was perfect. Thank you. The it look, was fun. The look on Sam's face, I mean, it was, for a split second there, I didn't see her on the phone. I saw her sitting in the passenger seat. That's how yeah. awesome that was. Uh, so let's talk about Charlie, uh, the ex-boyfriend. What is Charlie? Re who does Charlie represent for you? I mean, what is he to you? So to me, Charlie is, you know... <laughs> Charlie is, you know, kind of represents a kind of a quintessential, you know a d domestic abuser at the end of the day um somebody who is narcissistic but has no idea that their worldview is skewed um he is somebody who genuinely believes that he is the victim um you know it is somebody that um yeah again has it, it, it he represents many many things but on top of that it's somebody that i've you know infused my own ex-boyfriends into so <laughs> <laughs> whatever that tells you about me you know <laughs> For me, uh, Charlie is a variety, and the re uh, this is why I asked you. He could be seen as a silver spoon boy, rich, privileged, all his life, throws a tantrum. And for me, his actions are him throwing a tantrum and not even thinking about the consequences. Well, I'm not going to go to jail if I kill my ex-girlfriend, if I kidnap her, because yeah. I'm Charlie nothing bad ever happens to me so that's why i wanted to get your take and i'm glad you mentioned the uh the abuser part we know he is uh abusing emily emotionally uh verbally the t the topic of physical abuse is not really touched on are we just to leave that to our own vices to decide yeah you know there's little crumbs there to i i think there's one scene on the cliff when you know, she mentions bruises that he left. So we didn't want to go on like a big, you know, explanation of exactly all their history and like exactly what they went through. We just want to make sure to stay in the moment and only hear little bits and pieces of their history that, you know, they would mention. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that the movie wasn't trying to tell the audience something more than the characters would ever say to each other. Um, but yeah, I wanted to make sure, you know, we, even with Charlie and Emily, we got to see them like a couple, like they weren't arguing like, you know, a victim and a, a, a predator and a prey, but they were arguing like they dated, they yeah. really had a relationship, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and even with Charlie, I made sure in the beginning of the, you know, the movie that we hear a little bit about where he's coming from as far as, you know, his dad kicked him off the board and that's when she broke up with him. So then he was feeling like he was abandoned, you mm -hmm. know, all those little details were necessary, I think. I'm glad you mentioned the cliff scene. Uh, the, I want to ask you something about the cliff scene without giving away any spoilers. When he sort of gets what we think he's, he wants, he seems upset. 
He's like, yeah. damn it. Did you have a talk with Michael to have that reaction? Like, what were you trying? Because I got, I know I had my own interpretation of why he did that. What What were you trying to get Michael to portray at that moment when it happens? Yeah, you know, our conversations, um, yeah, me and Michael's conversations about that moment was really about, um, it's not about, her, you know, making her go away it's about him getting what he wants mm -hmm. which is you know ex exactly the scenario he wants is what he wants to have happen not any other accident not any other you know means of you know getting rid of her he has a plan and he wants to fulfill his own desires yeah and if it goes any other way he's just going to throw another tantrum um you what another thing i love is you really steer away from the final girl horror tropes in this film, where you see somebody bash the bad guy over the head with a bat, drop the bat, and run. You you yeah. do the complete opposite, which I loved watching it. And I watched this with my brother, and we both stated the same thing. Um, yeah. Was that in the script, and did you really amplify it, or was that your own touch? Oh, yeah. You know, I think in the very early draft, uh she did not defeat him directly i think the police came so when i read it i was like oh no like we gotta push this we can't that is an unsatisfying ending like if she if he's been choking her out this movie so many times like this is a this is like a this is like a you know a fantasy for us this is yeah. like a victory fantasy for women you know exactly. of like if you fight back and work together, you can get them at the end. And, um, you know, I think there's certain moments when they do back off from potentially, you know, ending him as a point in the movie at the car where they could have potentially yeah. actually finished him off, but they decide not to. Um, but yeah, and after they make that mistake, like the end of the movie for me was always this. It was never going to be anything else. It was always yeah, going to be them yeah. I, truly defeating him. I can't imagine the just the, him just going to jail. That that doesn't seem fitting because I I don't think you would have learned his lesson. And then you do have the possibility this guy is rich. Maybe he can get away with it. She made a point. Yeah. He made a point to her. Look at me, what you've done to me, and look at you. Who are they going to believe, me or you? So that was a yeah. great point. Before we go, Yoko, I want to ask uh, one question. I believe this was your first uh, feature film, your directorial debut as for feature. So yeah. tell us, did it live up to what you expected it to be? What were your you know feelings on that? Oh my goodness. Honestly, I I always thought my first feature film was going to be like, you know, a $15,000 like indie thing that I shoot in my own, you know, apartment with like no money and my friends like because I really came up indie and I could never have even imagined that my first feature was going to be this like Blumhouse production, you know, with a decent budget and these amazing cast like it really was beyond what I expected it was going to be. And I, you know, even during this you know, um, promotional period, it's also become kind of way more than I thought it was ever going to be. So um, it's only been really positive, crazy, surprising. Yeah. Well, you did an amazing job. Congratulations. The guys, our audience, the film is coming out tomorrow. It's called Unseen. Yoko here directed it. It is a fun horror thriller comedy. We got, there is comedy in there. That, there. Thanks to Missy. Uh, congratulations again, Yoko. I want to thank our audience, those of you who are tuning in live and those who will be watching this later on. I want to thank our guest, uh, Yoko Okamura, her movie Unseen. Check it out tomorrow. 
On behalf of Yoko and myself, stay safe, stay walking. Good night, everybody.